0: Good evening, I'm Joseph Martinez, and welcome to Deadtime Stories, a podcast by Graveyard Shift, dedicated to telling just that. Scary stories, submitted by real people. Whether the stories are real or not, who knows, but they are scary. Now, please forgive me, I can take you no further, but your stories lie just ahead. Down the dark alleyway, your host awaits. Do be careful, though. Deadhead can be... Mercurial. I'll wait for you here. Godspeed.
1: As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu podcast. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free?
2: Takes my little cadavers. How brave of you to join me this evening. Tonight I have five tales about boogeymen for your delicious little ears. First up, Terence shares a local legend by the name of Three Finger Jed.
3: I'm happy I could be somewhere and I could tell my story and have someone believe me. It was 1960s Brookline, New Hampshire. The town was thriving with industry, mainly revolving around the Brookline Ice Factory on Lake Benjamin. You see, in those days, ice was mass-produced in local bodies of water, like that lake. It was frozen, broken, and then shipped off to surrounding cities. Of course, there was always danger with such work. I was the security guard for the factory grounds, made sure no one broke in or caused any trouble. Being that it was an ice factory in the countryside, seemed pretty easy. Then there was Jed Atwood, a local townie who worked at the factory since it was first built. Didn't know much about him except that he slept in a shack by the lake and lived off the land. He hunted animals for food, skinning them and drying the meats into jerky so that he could survive the cold winters. He didn't have any friends or family. And I'll never forget what happened on that fateful day. It was a usual day at the factory. Ice was ground up and made ready for transport. But then there was a jam in one of the machines. Jed went to investigate and his hand became caught in the gears. He cried out for help and screamed in agony as the other workers tried to pry him loose. I ran over and tried to cut the power, but... but it was too late. The machine literally chewed up and spit out a frozen, mangled body. And it ended up sinking to the bottom of the lake. I was going to call the police and report it, but but the factory foreman twisted my arm. He said an accident like that could... Shut down the factory, cost people their jobs, including yours, he said. Jed was a loner with no loved ones who was considered the town pariah. And just like that, he was gone, and his death not even worth reporting. I mean, we were all scared, but, but now I wish that I had reported it. Maybe it could have saved someone. Later that summer, starting around July 23rd, A rash of disappearances hit the town mostly occurring around lake benjamin near the factory the foreman was one of them police were dispatched from brookline and the neighboring towns to help form a search party to investigate the woods surrounding the lake i didn't see anything out of place until a few days later you see i was on my normal night patrol the moon and the compound lights were the only thing keeping the area lit i was looking out onto the lake and and then I saw it, a figure moving all jangly like, like their joints were messed up, shuffling. I just thought it was one of the workers getting plastered and going home. I could only see their shadow in the reflected light from the lake, but I knew something was off about them. Then they went into the lake and never came out. I tried to tell the cops, but, but they were too tied up with the disappearances to help. When they finally investigated Jed's old shack, they solved the mystery. Wall-to-wall dead bodies, human corpses flayed, mangled, and mutilated. The grisly scene shocked the community and made the cops vomit in horror. The workers, the townspeople, and the factory foreman in a state of absolute carnage, butchered like wild game. You see, the bodies were missing parts and, and hung from the ceiling like Jed's hunts. Meats dried and jerked like animals. When the truth finally came out, the search party assumed that Jed had survived the accident and just gone crazy, attacking those he had blamed for his pain and suffering. We formed a posse and we stalked the lake until, on one fateful evening, we saw a familiar figure trying to break into the factory grounds. We assumed for more victims. It was Jed, only the accident didn't merely disfigure him. He was clearly dead. I mean, his body was coming apart with various different limbs and pieces of human flesh stitched on. We were all too shocked to react. I mean he hissed at us like a serpent. His body animated and still covered in ice and sleet. He moved with twitches like, like he hadn't completely thought. Finally I, I shot at him and, and the bullets just sliced through his body and and he simply turned around and walked back into the lake. Brookline Ice eventually closed not long after that. No one took the reports of a corpse stealing body parts seriously from us. Of course, I lost my job and, frankly, was ready to move on to greener pastures. Not long after that, the grounds were acquired by a summer camp. I tried to warn them about Jed, but but they wouldn't listen. The tales of a walking frozen corpse still persist. The tales saying that Jed rises on the hottest nights of the summer from his frozen tomb to attack victims and steal their limbs to keep his desiccated corpse together. Thus leading to the campfire story of 3 finger Jed.
2: Oh, it sounds like Jed really earned his summer camp sewing badge. (laughs) If that one kept you in stitches, stick around. More stories right after the break. Ready for more lethal laughter? Our next story follows a girl who has a run-in with the creepiest kind of comedian, Phantom Clowns.
4: This happened back when I was a kid. I was still in elementary school, didn't really have any friends. It was winter and I had just missed the school bus home. I couldn't reach my folks until they were done with work, so I had to walk it. The walk was pretty easy, but there was one stretch that creeped me out. It was an isolated industrial part of town, run down businesses and boarded up buildings. When I got there, my walk became more of a run. Then I heard it, carnival music. Weird in this part of town, pretty much impossible. I followed the music and was led down an alley towards a vacant lot. That's when I saw it, a pink van playing the organ music. It was dented, missing paint and covered in decals of clowns, animals and candy. I stood in front of the van for a minute before somebody came out. It was a man. He looked middle-aged, wore a sweaty tank top and clown makeup with a red wig, dirty white gloves, and big red shoes. He smoked a cigar and smiled at me. Hey, kid, do you like the circus? I nodded. Something inside me told me to run, but I was too scared to move. I could tell the clown knew I was afraid. How would you like to live at the circus? He grinned. His teeth were yellow and grimy. I backed away. Don't worry, you can play all kinds of games and eat all the cotton candy you want. I took another step back. Then I noticed he wasn't alone. You know those little cars full of clowns? It was like that. I think I saw several men dressed as clowns crammed into that one van. They looked at me. I told the clown no again. He frowned. Then he reached into the van and pulled out a sword like an actual medieval-looking sword. He pointed it at me. Don't you want to see the sword swallower's girl? Finally, I ran. When I reached the street, I saw a couple in the distance. I yelled help until I went hoarse. With people around, it must have scared the clowns off. The big one got into the van, and they screeched away. It was horrifying. I hate to think what could have happened if I had gone with them. Later that night, I watched the news with my parents. I didn't tell them what happened. I didn't want them to worry. Then, the anchorman reported on something that made my blood turn ice cold. There were reports of strange pink carnival vans spotted from Boston to Phoenix, filled with clowns. They didn't mention any kidnappings, but I knew better.
2: Yikes! Nothing funny about those bozos. Let's see what other tales I can dig up after this break. Ever hear that expression, don't look a gift horse in the mouth? I wonder if that applies to televisions left at your doorstep. Let's find out in our next tale,
3: The TV Man. I gotta get the truth out there, man. It's just too unbelievable. I was just hanging out at my house one Tuesday night. I'm an insomniac. <laughs> I can't sleep. I was on the couch going through my second plate of nachos and watching Robot Monster when I heard something outside. Now, keep in mind, it's like 3 a.m. I go over to the window and look through the curtains. I was freaked out because I'm high and I'm pretty sure some wacko's trying to break in. Oh, It was a wacko, alright, but he wasn't trying to break in. I see this this guy, this real tall dude, placing this old school box shaped TV on my porch. But the craziest part was his head. I mean, it, he was wearing a TV over it, like, like a mask or a helmet or something. I'm frozen. I mean, this is the freakiest shit I've ever seen. But nothing happens. He just... Leaves the TV like a package and walks off into the dark. No car, no light. He just walks off into the night. I call the cops right then and there. Of course, the cops don't show up until the sun's up. I show them the TV and tell them about the TV guy. Then some of my neighbors walk over. They're also holding these old school boxy heavy TVs. I tell them I saw a weirdo with a TV on his head dropping off the TVs. They smell the weed on my breath and clothes and start to arrest me for playing a prank. Then, as luck would have it, one of my neighbors pipes in. Hey, I I saw the TV guy too. She pulls out her cell phone and plays footage from her security cam. Sure enough, a weirdo with a TV on his head dropping off a box like it's Christmas from 1990. The police tell us there's not really much that they can do, but just to keep an eye out. They check over the TVs too. No bombs, no tampering. They even work. Everyone brushes it off as a gag. But I can't let it go. I-, I need to know. Every night for days, I sit by the window and I wait for him. Sure, he'll be coming by with another TV in hand. It takes a week, but sure enough, he returns, holding one of those old analog TVs with the wood paneling. But this time, his helmet's different. And the TV on his shoulders is larger and rectangular. But he doesn't wobble. I mean, dude is built like a tank. But all the same, he drops the TV off and wanders away. That's when I take my chance. I track him with nothing more than a flashlight on my cell phone. I... I need to know. Who is this guy? Where is he coming from? He walks through the woods for what seems like an eternity. We reach this old school junkyard piles of TVs nearly as high as the trees along with all sorts of crap. He just stands there looking at screens like he's contemplating something. Suddenly he takes his head off. It's not a mask. I mean the TV is his head. All these wires and cords spill out of his neck and he places his former TV on the ground and then he picks up this smaller TV and plops it on. I gasp. I mean His TV face flashes at me. He doesn't chase. He doesn't attack. He just looks at me and waves. I run as fast as my legs will carry me. I go home and I just stare at the TV he left me. Why is he doing this? Why why give us TVs if they're his head or, or brains or whatever? I decide to just go for it. I hook the TV up in my living room. It works fine. I get some static of course and it only gets local channels but it's a TV all the same so i watch it for a while then later that night the screen becomes just pure static but it's oddly soothing for the first time in a while i begin to fall asleep I mean as my eyes droop i notice that the screen is changing i mean it's between the static there's this Cycloptic black and white eye just staring at me. I know this isn't right and I need to turn it off, so, so I stumble forward and I shove the TV over, smashing it. I catch my breath and now I'm wide awake. I think that eye was hypnotizing me. I sleep even less now, afraid that the TV man will return. I don't know what he wants, though. So not really but I see the light of his screen outside my window now and again. But I will never answer the call of the TV man.
2: Hugo spent all that time watching TV, and in the end, the TV was watching him. Have no fear, cadavers. You hear me, but I don't hear you. Much. Why don't you take a listen to our next break? Who's up for camping in the woods? Our next boogeyman would be happy to take you out.
4: <laughs>
2: Careful when you meet him, though. He has one memorable handshake. Here's the tale of Axe Hand Sam.
4: I answered all the detectives' questions, but because the truth got me nowhere, I had to tell their version of the story. This is what really happened to us. It was summer. My boyfriend, Mark, thought it would be a great time to go camping out in the countryside with our friend Edna and her boyfriend, Gil. A couples trip, you know. Mark said he knew a trail around the old Red Mill Lumberyard. Mark set up the tents and even started a campfire. Edna and Gil were just along for the ride, really. Later that night, Mark decided to tell us a ghost story, a local one, one I'd never heard before. Mark's great uncle actually used to own the Red Mill Lumberyard. The greatest lumberjack at the time was a man named Sam Dupree, a mountain of a man who was nearly seven feet tall with a huge red beard that he braided like a pirate. With just his muscles and an ax, he could chop down a fully grown oak in minutes. Then one day, Sam tried to chop down a redwood single-handedly. He swung and swung, but he may have met his match. His axe became stuck in it, and while trying to remove the axe, the tree fell on him, crushing his arm. The wound soon became infected, forcing doctors to amputate at the wrist. Despite losing his livelihood, Sam stayed determined. He sought out a witch who lived in the woods. For blood and gold, she helped him accomplish his wish of being the mightiest lumberjack who ever lived. They say with her dark magic, she fused his prized axe onto the stump of his missing right hand. Sam went back to work with his new hand and chopped down trees faster and harder than ever before. But not long after, he went berserk, splitting his fellow lumberjacks into pieces. The cops showed up and had to shoot him a hundred times to put him down. They say they buried him in an unmarked grave behind the lumberyard as no cemetery would take him. To this day, you can still hear him chopping in the woods and the screams of his victims. We all have a good laugh. Mark says it was just something his family told him to scare him. They haven't done anything with the plot of land in years. He figured it would be a great time to prove them wrong and have a fun outing. Roasting hot dogs over the fire, sitting under the stars, and being together. I thought he was right. We settled in not long after that. Mark and I were enjoying each other's company. When we heard something. A chopping sound. Mark looked out of the tent and pointed his flashlight. We saw nothing. Did you guys hear that? Mark asked Edna and Gil. They didn't respond. Something was up. He stepped out. I stayed right behind him. He was just about to unzip their tent when the tent exploded in a flurry. In seconds, it was a shredded mess and a huge, pale man emerged. Dirty overalls, chalky skin, that braided beard, and an axe where his right hand should be. It was real axe-hand Sam was real. At his feet were the bodies of Edna and Gil, looking like they had gone through a meat grinder. Mark and I bolted, barefoot through the forest. I could hear that monster's footsteps echo. He was getting closer. I was so afraid. I was ready to have a panic attack. Then, whack! I hit the ground when my foot caught a branch. I was on my stomach. I could hear that horrible blade shift the air as he raised it. Then, with a hideous wet noise... The axe was buried into Mark's back. He had jumped in front of the blade. He saved my life. Run! Those were his last words. I kept running, the sound of his bones being chopped behind me. I ran for what seemed like an eternity. I didn't know where I was going. I couldn't see him, but I could feel the blade swing at me. Strands of my hair cut off, so close. I knew I couldn't run forever. As I heard the blade raise, I ducked at the last moment his axe jammed into the bark of a mighty redwood. The tree groaned and tottered, now nearly split in two by the blow. As the monster struggled to free his axe, I went behind the tree and pushed with all my might. Sam grunted just before the tree fell on top of him. I didn't stick around to check the body. I just ran until I could see cars on the highway. I told the police my story, but they didn't believe me. They just thought it was some axe carrying me into it. Not axe hand Sam himself. But I'm still afraid. The story said once he sees you, he won't
1: stop shopping until you're dead. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car, you should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle, find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
0: Whoa, sweet man, Thanks, serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure.
2: Chop, chop, cadavers. We have to hurry through the woods of our next break to reach the final story. From the forest to the sea, our next tale is from a fisherman who has a chance meeting with the Lady of the Water.
3: I need to make sure that my story gets out there. So here goes, a few years ago, I was working on this fishing trawler called the Tempest. Captain Jeff Saxton was my boss, he ran the boat, tough guy, bit of a hard ass. He was always yelling at me to stop working with my headphones on, but what can I say, I like some tunes while I fish. Anyway, our fishing spot, the Red Cove, claimed to have been having a shortage of tuna at that time and they tried to limit fishing around the nights of the harvest moon there. They claimed some environmental bullshit, but just passing through those waters, we knew that there was a prime catch. So did the captain. He managed to bribe the wharf chief and let us fish Red Cove. I overheard him warn the captain, you'll regret it, but Saxton blew him off and we went back to work. The fishing was insane. It was the most fun that I'd ever had on the water just as we were getting ready to return to the dock and unload our catch the strangest thing happened we heard music but but there was no music playing on the boat and there were no passing ships it was someone singing but but not like a drunk fisherman singing it was it was like opera you know it was like a woman's voice the most beautiful voice i'd ever heard and It sounded like it was coming from the water itself. We looked out into the night and saw nothing. Saxton got all pissed at us, told us to stop looking for something that didn't exist. He made us resume our trip back to shore, but but as we readied, a heavy fog settled in around the tempest. So fast, and just so immediate, I I'd never seen anything like it. Saxton tried to radio in, but but all he got was static, and, and our phones had no signal either we were stranded and we hadn't even moved. The singing got louder and more clear. Almost as if it was calling us, like like it had hooked into my soul. It didn't feel right so I didn't like it and I put my headphones back on and I blasted my music until my head hurt and I got back to work. But then I, I noticed that Saxton and the rest of the crew they, they were all standing at the bow of the boat. And I walked over to see what they were all looking at and, all I could see over everyone's shoulders was this light, so I fought my way to the front and I saw, I saw, the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen, a ghostly woman just hovering over the water, her hair platinum and shining in the moonlight. She was the one singing. I was tempted to take my headphones off just to hear it again, but but my gut told me not to. The crew stepped forward close wasn't close enough. Captain Saxton reached out to and nearly fell over the rail. She leaned down and embraced him, and when she let go, his eyes had rolled into the back of his head, and he fell dead. Nobody cared, except me. I tried to pull the others back, but, but they fought me, hit me. They were under her spell. She watched with a sickening smile on her face, and She continued to wrap her claws into their brains with her music. One by one, she grabbed each guy and I couldn't do a damn thing about it to save her. Till it was just me alive. She didn't attack me though, she she simply frowned and stopped singing. And with the wave of her hands, the, the fog dissipated and a rogue wave hit the ship and I fell over and hit my head on the rail, knocked me out cold. When I finally came to us, I was on the shore, just bleeding all over. The ship had wrecked and mangled bodies of the captain and the rest of the crew surrounded me. It was ruled an accident. They they just assumed that Saxton was drunk at the helm or something. I was let go and I ran off after what I'd seen.
4: Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and
1: bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets, Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.
3: No one would ever believe me seeing that lady of the water. Like the old story of the Odyssey, it talked about a beautiful siren that would lure men to their deaths with their song. It was just like that.
2: It kills me to say it, but it's time for you cadavers to sleep with the fishes. I hope you enjoyed our five stories about boogeymen, and do come visit me again soon. We have many more short, scary stories to share. Sweet dreams, my little
0: cadavers. (laughs) You've made it through the night. Congrats. Let's get going before that changes. The five stories you've just heard were written by Jacob Davison. Tonight's production starred Todd Lights, Kayla Jeffries, and Todd Denson. With editing by my younger brother, Martin Martinez. I believe you can find your way home from here. Until next time, farewell.